It was nighttime. I was fishing. Everyone always asked me, why were you fishing at night? I just, that's what I was doing. I have no answer for that, but that's what I was doing. I remember I was listening to Green Day. It was Basket Case, I think. Yeah. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. There's got to be something to that. I just remember like the percussion coming in and that's when I saw like this reflection in the water. I looked up and what the what the hell is that? I look up and I see a triangular formation. Not an object. I saw no structure. I just saw lights. Uh, but they were floating over this body of water. My dad comes out and he sees the tail end of the thing as it's floating over the water towards Canada and uh I, I could just tell, like, he, you know when your parent is telling you the truth, you know, like, growing up, like, when they're teaching you these life lessons, or, uh, you know, they tell you not to worry about something, but you are worried. Um, I, I could tell it was a moment where he wasn't quite sure what to say to me. I think looking back at it now, if I had had that same UFO experience now, um, I would have taken something different from it. As a kid, I was just like, oh, what the heck is that? Like, is it gonna blow me up? Or like, what what's going on? I wasn't into UFOs when that happened. I didn't know anything about them, but now I'm so entrenched in it every day of my waking life that if I had that experience now, I, I think I would be bringing an entire whole new set of questions to it, you know? What, I, I, I feel like I'd have more ideas of what it wasn't. And then to have your own protector, your father, see the same thing as you and not know what it was and try to calm you down, say it's just a plane, it's just this. Um, I wonder now like what he would think if we saw it both as adults, um, if he would have had a different story to tell me. He didn't talk about it forever. And I remember a few years ago, we were at a bar in Syracuse, New York, where I, where I live. I was visiting him, and uh, he just, like, unloaded on me all about what I was doing. Like, what's new in the world of UFOs? You know, trying to connect with his son some 20 years later. And I loved it. Like, I loved having that moment where, with him where I could tell him about this world that I'd kind of uh, been pulled to, but also manifested, I think, too. And uh, the communities that I found within that. And it was so cool to, like, explain to him what my life was now. And uh, I could just, I could tell he wanted to talk about that night. And um, I asked him, I said, do you remember any of that? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and I was like, what do you think it was? And he just, he looked at me and he was like, I have no idea. Like, I, I don't know what it was. I'm Jim Perry, and you are listening to Euphemet, a show about the unknown and our relationship to it. On this edition, a storyteller redefining his own carrying the anomalous experiences of others with him while spiraling into the unknown. UFOs, alien abductions, and something altogether more strange. 
next on Euphemat. The ceiling is seemingly at arm's reach down here. The light fixtures above even swing as we pass below like some pie pan flying saucer prop from a 50s hoaxer, bouncing light from black painted brick to the stage's wooden floor. I'm in a small theater in New York with playwright, author, podcaster, burgeoning TV UFO personality Ryan Sprague. He's brought me here to show me where it all started. The place where he aligned his seemingly disparate passions into personage. The place where he finds himself. Where he finds his true work. I'm very shy. Um, I'm very shy. I'm very quiet. I'm a listener. When I was in high school, I did a play. And that was the first time that I got in front of an audience and, like, expressed myself. And it changed my life. I I wouldn't say it was good (laughs) by any means, but I did it. And I caught the bug, you know, that whole cliche of catching the theater bug. And now we're here today in yeah. this cool looking theater. It's in Midtown. Uh, it's off off Broadway, but. It's off, 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 off Broadway, it has yeah. character charm. <laughs> Dude, oh my god, yeah. The, I mean, these, these are my theaters here. Uh, this is where my first ever play was produced. I'd been writing, I'd been struggling, and I actually got hired to write a play. Um, I was commissioned. They, were, they gave me the topic, a play about a serial killer. They said, we want you to write about Jack the Ripper. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I wouldn't know where to begin. I'd never written a period piece. I'd never uh, done like a British dialogue, anything like that before in my playwriting career. And uh, I remember opening night I was terrified. The play had gone through so many different iterations and, uh, and successes and failures in terms of development. And I had no idea what people were going to think about it. And I was really scared, you know? I just, I, it took over my life for almost two years, learning about serial killers, what makes them tick, what makes them do the things they do. The psychology behind it is fascinating, and it was to me. And trying to bring that out on a live stage, um, I, I had no idea how it was going to play out. Because people actually were murdered by Jack the Ripper, no matter how much we think it's cool or uh, interesting that we don't know who it really was. The play started, and the, the opening, it's like a tableau. And it's a apartment, kind of like what we're seeing here today. And there's a window. It's very dark. All you see is the window being pried open from outside a dark figure coming in surveying the room and then there's a knock on the door and the figure goes and hides in another room and i remember right when that happened a guy in the front row he stood up he was like fuck this no i'm leaving and he literally got up and left the theater so that was a moment where i was like yes Like, yes, I got someone to leave my play before it even started. (laughs) You know, that could be a big problem for a lot of playwrights. But the fact that, like, it invoked a reaction from someone when the dialogue hadn't even started in the play yet, I was like, okay, all right, that's cool. Like, that's something I'm going to remember. The play goes on. People left. They, uh... 
they felt really uncomfortable. They they loved moments. They hated moments. Um, and clapped, yay, play done. And I remember being out in that lobby and just talking to people, you know, congratulations, or I thought this, that, blah, blah, blah. And um, I remember there was a guy, a younger gentleman and an older gentleman. And the younger guy had like, almost like a nursing, nurse, like an RN outfit on. And I was like, that's like, what, what brought you here? I was like, oh, I came with this, the guy in the bathroom. I was like, oh, okay, like, are you in, like, is he a director, a writer? He's like, oh, no, he's a patient. I was like, what? And then he goes on and he tells me, yeah, he's a patient at the Bellevue Psychiatric Ward. He heard about this play, and they get one night a month where they can go out and do something, and he wanted to come here, so I had to come with him to see this play. And that was a moment where I was like, what the fuck? Like... I'm writing kind of a parody of uh, a horror-esque sort of film noir thing going on with Jack the Ripper. And like a dude from a psych ward had one night to come out on the town or whatever, and he came to see this play. I, I was speechless when the dude told me that. And I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to take that. But um, I, I knew that I had either done something right or something really wrong. <laughs> yeah. Through theater, Ryan meets his future mentor, famed writer Peter Robbins, author of seminal UFO works, including a landmark investigation into a 1980 encounter at a U.S. Air Force base in England, known widely as the Rendlesham Forest Incident. With help from Robbins, Ryan is finally able to marry his passions in theater and UFO when he pens a play based off the event and Robbins' investigation work on the play ignites Ryan's ambition to continue UFO research, and in no time he's following closer in his mentor's footsteps than ever. With boots on the ground, collecting stories from real experiencers, he starts work on his first UFO book, Somewhere in the Skies. I remember the first abductee I ever interviewed. Um, I was flying to Arizona to interview this woman, and the whole way there I'm like what am I doing this is ridiculous like I I'm I'm so on the fence about alien abduction like it's just I don't know I'm 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 gonna be judgmental the minute I meet her and this that and I remember meeting her at a diner and her husband was with her which I wasn't expecting I thought it was just gonna be us and the minute I met her and she hugged me and we sat down and like had a meal together I was like okay, this is actually normal. This is cool. She's not some, like, weird, new-agey person, like, saying she's a starseed and all this. Again, you know, I'm not one to judge. But uh, we sat there, we ate, and then we had to come face-to-face with the fact that I'm here for a reason. Like, I need to hear your story. And I just remember her diving into it, And the more she got into the details of what had happened to her, that she was taken from her bed at night and that she was put on this 
slab and that there were all these creatures around her and she could remember like the temperature in the room and she could see perspiration on these creatures skin and um how scared she was and uh, i didn't know like how to react so i'm just like nodding okay okay and then i could see her like trembling as she was telling it and that was like the moment where i was like okay this is really, really affecting her. And then I saw her husband grab her hand and just squeeze it. And she started crying the more and more she got into the story. And that was, that was a moment I'll never forget. No matter what happened to her, recalling this memory of whatever it was uh, affected her so deeply and it almost meant more that her husband was there telling her you can do it and comforting her and supporting her that I'm like you are like everyday people and your wife is telling me she was abducted by aliens and you're like, just, you can do it, you can do it. That, ah, uh, man. That was the reality. And I, I don't know, if it, did it actually happen? I don't know, but I left that night being like, whew, what did I get myself into? went there being like this is gonna be a cool story that I can maybe put in a book people will be like oh yeah alien abduction cool and I left being like shit like I have a responsibility to this woman she never told this to anyone else and she agreed to do it with me because she trusted me and that was the first story I recorded for my book and from there it had to live up to that level for me of I need these people to trust me and I need to trust them. It's sad to me that that no one will believe them and that we can live in a world that claims I should say a society that claims to be so open-minded and accepting. And when you have these very stable people, genuine people coming forward and just saying they saw a light in the sky and someone tells them they're, they were drunk or uh, they misidentified something, that for me is just like, aren't we past this? So many people have seen UFOs. So many people have claimed these encounter experiences that no matter what it is, I'm not saying it's an alien from another planet. It could be anything. But the fact that these people are having these experiences and are willing to come forward to talk about it and then to have nobody listen to them or to immediately like just brush it off, um, I don't blame people in many ways until you meet them. And you see, like, they have nothing to gain from this. Like, the days of writing a book about an alien abduction and making tons of money, those are over. 
they're fucking over. It was a fad. And now you still have people telling those stories. Like, are they trying to, like, hold on tight to those last moments of, like, you know, prosperity? Maybe. But for all those people who might be making up shit, there's 10 people behind them who are telling the truth. And I honestly believe that. but it's there and it's staring us in the face and we're trying to stare back but I don't think we know how and I don't think people are ready I think we're on its timeline so this was two years ago Uh, I was speaking at a UFO conference or not a UFO conference more of like a esoteric conference you know you had the ghost hunter there you had the ufologist you had the cryptozoologist and it was cool it was great like it, I was learning stuff I was experiencing new things and uh, they invited me out to Nova Scotia which I'd never been to um, growing up pretty close to Canada I just never made it that far and part of our like initiation that weekend was to go on a ghost hunt, which I'd never done before in my life. You know, I'd seen all the TV shows, I'd heard about, you know, what goes on at these things. And honestly, man, like I went in thinking, I'm just gonna play the role. Like, it'll be cool, like, we'll act like some crazy shit happened and have a good spook and, and go on with the weekend. So we went to this historically haunted place in Nova Scotia called the uh, Queens County Museum. It had a really long history of um, the indigenous people who had lived there for so long. Um, And then, you know, the settlers that came in after that. So you just got endless, endless amounts of history in this place. So yeah, we were kind of, you know, going, going, I was going into this museum thinking nothing was going to happen, that, you know, maybe someone's EMF reader was going to go off or uh, a ghost, ghost spirit box was going to pick up a random word here and there and someone would interpret it as either dead ant or like some person coming back from the dead. And I was like, all right, this will be fun. This will be fun. So I remember, um going throughout the museum and kind of just rolling my eyes and people are like, oh, there's, look at that up there. Like, there's something up there. I can see it. I can feel it. Um, We're catching it on the camera, blah, blah, blah. And I just, I, I couldn't believe I was there, like, doing this. I'm like, oh, man, this just seems so cheesy and corny to me. And it's funny because I'd, I'd been so entrenched in UFOs for so long that when someone told me they saw something in the sky, I'm like, yes, okay. I'd heard people say they were taken by aliens, but I couldn't accept for some reason that people were communicating with the dead. I don't know if it was a fear that it could actually happen or or what it was, if I was just overly skeptical about it, but I just found myself like, rolling my eyes when someone was like oh i caught something like this that this that and i kind of like distanced myself in every room and looked at these people uh 
I wouldn't say I looked down at them, but I kind of was like, fine. Like if that's going to get them through the night and make them feel like something happened, cool. And I remember this one moment where we went into this room of the museum called the activity room where like kids could go and play while the parents went to the museum and everything. And, um, they had one of these spirit boxes in the room at the time. And, uh, for those who don't know, it's like this thing that catches radio frequencies, like per second, even quicker. And you try to catch things on it and maybe you get a word here and there. And supposedly it's a spirit that's communicating with you. And, um, you know, this is all new to me. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. So we go in the room and it's pitch black and we start catching on on the spirit box uh, the voice of a little girl. And I thought it was really interesting because, like, it wasn't catching a commercial from uh, a radio show. It wasn't catching, like, lyrics from a song. It was the voice of a little girl, like, clear as day. And it sounded like she was crying. And it was constant on the spirit box, which, again, like, I didn't think was possible. Like, again, you're, you're flipping through these frequencies at, like, crazy rate. And we kept catching this girl, like, almost whimpering. And it, it kind of scared me at first. I'm like, that's a little freaky, but whatever. Like, anything can happen. And uh, so our host is like, oh, this must be Lily, the little girl that haunts this room. Like, she comes here all the time, and she's scared of adults because they're so much taller than her. Like, let's get down to her level. So we literally all crouched down to get down to this girl's level. And I'm playing along. I'm like, okay, like, I see where this is going. Let's, like, I'll go with it. Like, Lily's here. Let's see what happens next. Yep, we're down on the ground. Um, And immediately when we all got down on the ground, it started going through the frequencies on the spirit box again. And it was a little girl giggling. And that really caught me off guard you know crying she's scared sit down giggle she's happy she's comfortable with us now and it seemed to be a few minutes of just playfulness with whatever was coming through the spirit box and again i was very skeptical about everything going on i was very on guard and i think i didn't want want it to be real but it was there like this constant voice of a little girl and I kind of just sat there and I took it in and I tried to take it in stride and then I remember we were sitting in silence just feeling the room out and I was sitting cross-legged on the ground and for a brief moment I felt a weight on my legs and they just like hit the ground like someone had hopped into my lap and I felt fingers, not kidding, I like felt actual fingers on my neck, like someone was sitting in my lap and hugging me and I just kind of shot back and immediately it felt like the fingers left and the weight was lifted off my legs and something like ran out of the room. And I 
I looked in the doorway of the room and my buddy Greg Bishop was standing in the doorway and immediately when I felt the weight lift and this cold rush leave the room, he like stepped aside in the doorway like someone had run past him. And he looked over at me and I'm like in the corner white as a ghost, like something just left my lap. And he's in the doorway like something just passed me and we made eye contact like, what the fuck just happened? I just remember sitting there while everyone else kind of was still trying to communicate with this Lily girl or whoever was in the room. And I knew she was gone already. Like whatever was in the room with us was gone. And that was a moment that I felt it and it wasn't the spirit box. It wasn't, you know, cold spot it wasn't anything like that it was somebody sitting in my lap giving me a hug and then running out of the room and I'd never felt anything like that before that or since then and I don't know what to make of it I don't know if it was a spirit if I had conjured this image in my head of this little girl in the room and I made more of something that wasn't there but I I can't remember ever feeling so much in the moment except when I had my own UFO sighting as a kid and the world was so clear in that moment for me and I just remember getting up and leaving the room And everyone went on and did their things, catching orbs and things going off on their devices. And I just got so overwhelmed with, like, emotion. And, uh, and I was scared, but I was also, like, happy. I I, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I had to leave the museum. And I just went out into the front parking lot by myself. And I kind of, like, caught my breath. And I didn't know what to do next. I was, <laughs> I was on, in another country, uh, on an island, stuck there, and I just had my fucking like paradigm shifted, and I felt like I was twelve years old again. Like I wanted my mom. <laughs> I wanted someone to tell me that didn't happen, but I just kind of, I don't know. I just stood up there, for. God knows how long until someone came out and was like, you all right, man? Like, what's going on? And I just remember that whole weekend. uh, I was more in tune with everything around me. that, That ghost experience, like, if it was a ghost or whatever, it definitely changed my outlook on life uh i've had a lot of i don't know how you'd say it i've i've lost a lot of people in my life way earlier than i ever anticipated and i had um i had some moments in the past year and a half that uh in my personal life with family that just hits you out of nowhere 
and makes you realize like anything can happen at the drop of a dime and life can stop and those are the moments where I think uh, it really puts into perspective that it seems so cliche but like we're only here for a limited amount of time why doubt things why why close yourself off like see what's out there and it took almost losing someone in my life who means the world to me to really accept that and not just sit on my ass and wonder like get out there figure shit out or don't but at least I can say I tried every person I talk to is one step closer for them closure for them to at least get their story out there have someone listen and have people like take that in um and that's what I love I love telling stories I love creating characters that's why we're in this theater like I love how people tick what they think how it how that translates into what they do and how it changes their lives. And that's what plays are. And that's what's happening to these people. You know, whether the UFO fell in their lap or, uh, you know, they felt the cold touch of a spirit or something, like, that's going to change them in so many different ways. I think breaking down those walls and letting the audience become a part of the play is where we're finally going to find some answers. Like when we finally can look up at that UFO or whatever and be like, I get it. I get it. Like come play with us. Let's like do this together instead of like showing me yourself for half a second, disappear for a blink of an eye and leave me wondering for the rest of my life. You know, let's do this together. Let's create together. Let's collaborate. I mean, it sounds like that experience was definitely removing that, removing that wall from the stage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, dude, I mean, that right there was the moment of, like, not only, like, breaking that fourth wall, but, like, grabbing the person in the front row, like, their collar, and being like, I'm here. Like, I'm here. Thank you for listening to this edition of Euphemat. This podcast is only a part of the story. To see more, go watch this episode's video vignette exclusively on Planet Weird's YouTube channel or find it at euphemat.com. Carl Pfeiffer, director of the popular web series Hellier and past Euphemat feature, is traveling with me all season long and really realizing Euphemat cinematically, so don't miss watching these short films. Subscribe to Ryan Sprague's podcast, Somewhere in the Skies, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to join us on Facebook. Our group, The Society of Youth Met, is where myself and listeners go to share their own experiences and talk about the show. Please join us on there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram, at Euphemet, and me, at It's Jim Perry. And I must thank all of our Patreon members. 
There's a season two because of you. If you are not yet a member, we could always use your help, so please consider joining. You'll get access to Euphemet the original series, brand new conversations, and more. Find it all at patreon.com slash euphemet. And of course, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. This has been Euphemet. I'm Jim Perry, and until next time, keep looking up.